This podcast contains strong language, sexual references, and terrible advice. When life gets you down, your car just won't start. Agony R. It's time for Agony R. If you've reached a dead end, you're not sure what to do. Agony R. Well, Agony R is for you. At times life is grand, you've got the world in your hands. Then somehow you drop that ball. Drop that ball. Instead of watching it fall, give Agony R a call. Welcome to Agony Art, the Agony Art podcast in which we try to solve your problems, not with our own wisdom, but instead by telling you how those problems were solved with the great art of our age. Or failing that, just by recommending books, film, music for you to enjoy. My name is Carl, our resident movie magnifico. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say magnolia. (laughs) Okay, movie magnolia. I blossom. You're so pretty. I blossom briefly. And then all my leaves drop and create a mess. Flower knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> That's what our listeners came for. Um, and I'm joined by Liam, our music magpie website. <laughs> <laughs> Sell your books and stuff at Liam. And Aaron, our book borrower. <laughs> Can I borrow the book? No, I mean like the small book. small person. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Is that why you never read any books? Because they're just too big. <laughs> and you know I hate big books. Yeah. Yeah, when he says epic, I don't mean length, it's just it's the size. Um, here with me in our swanky studio in my back garden. Oh! <laughs> How are we doing? All right, yeah. Have you been listening to the series so far? I have, yeah. I've yeah. been falling behind a bit. Oh. Because uh, I usually listen with my wife, and the other day she she went out. She left me. <laughs> <laughs> she went out, and she hasn't she come hasn't back. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> no, she listened to the latest episode, and I haven't listened to it yet. So I don't know what happened. Can't remember. <laughs> now, before we begin, I want to make it very clear that we're not really here to solve real problems. All of our submissions are certified 100% trivial or fictional pickles, and our advice should almost never be followed. We're really here to have fun. If you're having a real hard time, please check our website for guidance on who to turn to. That's agonyartpodcast.com. So now we've got that out of the way, let's get on with it. Okay, here's our first problem of the day. I'm a fully grown adult, but never learned to drive. I find it embarrassing to have to lie about it, especially to the opposite sex. I told the girl I'm seeing on our first date that I can drive, but I just don't have a car because I don't need one living and working in London. It's getting serious now, and she's booked a trip to Wales for a weekend away and booked a rental car, and she wants me to drive. How do I wriggle out of this one, boys? Have either of you two, you don't have to say the lie. Have either of you two told a lie to your wife (laughs) that she has never found out, even if it's years old? No, she always finds out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's name this pickle in a pickle. Who can't drive? David Coulthard. (laughs) He doesn't drive much anymore. Actually, I don't know. He he probably does all the time. Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars. (laughs) Famously, he doesn't always, drive. He's always in limos, isn't he? So maybe he can't drive. There you yeah. go, Bruno. Yeah, Bruno. Toddioli. We don't really talk about Bruno, but we will today. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. All right, Liam, kick us off. Bruno, are you sure? Are you 100% sure your girlfriend... Was it girlfriend? No, girl you're seeing. Not necessarily girlfriend. Oh, it's, all, it's all different it's these not days, getting, isn't it? It's not getting to oh, that. I'm so worried about labels. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> are you 100% sure she's really talking about driving a car? You're driving me nuts. I'll tell you you for why I ask that question. In 2007, 
Rihanna released a song. Shut up and drive. Called Shut Up and Drive. And despite appearances, it wasn't about driving a car at all. Fun fact about this song. Do you know who is credited as songwriters on it? Neo. Uh, Oddie Murs. No. Ed Sheeran. No. Taylor Swift. No. <laughs> Keep going. Calvin Harris. <laughs> no. Uh, Bob Marley. No. Phil Collins. No, you're getting closer. Oh. Uh, Eamon Holmes. No. Oh, who's the sledgehammer guy? Peter Gabriel. Well, Peter yep. Gabriel. No. <laughs> <laughs> yep, no. <laughs> uh, it's the entirety of New Order. Because really? it samples Blue Monday. And I was a oh, bit right. blown away <laughs> when I heard that. Technicality. Yeah. Christ. It's like the right said Fred thing in the Taylor Swift song. Do you, do you, did you associate Shut Up and Drive with Blue Monday, though? Because I didn't notice that at all until no. I read that. It's weird, isn't it? But it's a bit of innuendo, isn't it? Like It's a flip of a lot of innuendo, got, Carl. Got my mm. ride that's bigger than a limousine or something like that. Rihanna's looking for a driver who is qualified to step into her ride. Hello. So, a peek behind the Agony Art curtain for a second. <laughs> when, I was, when I was looking into songs for this, or in general when I look into songs, sometimes I find interesting tidbits from lyrics meaning site like Genius.com. In this case, I was, I was looking at Genius, and uh, there wasn't anything interesting per se, but it did give me a bit of a laugh. So I wanted to briefly give you a bit of a tour of what the user base at Genius are saying about Sharp and Drive. Basically... They're onto Rihanna's filth and they're not very impressed. Really? So what? They give opinions. Um, they don't know, but they make these little kind of like passive-aggressive remarks. <laughs> you see what I mean? <laughs> Do they think that it's like veiled innuendo because she says like something? You know what I mean? Is it yeah. like yeah. I'll get you where you want to go if you, you know, know what I mean? Yeah. It's like by the way, this is innuendo. <laughs> so the, 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 the comment on that line is she means intercourse. <laughs> that's in verse 2 in verse 1 she says I'm a fine-tuned supersonic speed machine and they say this line could be an ode to the 1994 Oasis song Supersonic but I doubt it it's it's probably also an innuendo for sex and how Rihanna is speedy at sex Uh, in the chorus she says can you handle the curves can you run all the lights this lyric is referring to him being so fast he can run the lights without any accidents or being all over (laughs) He's so fast, the cops couldn't catch up. That's how fast he's going to thrust into her. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But I think they've read too much into that. Yeah. She yeah. says nothing about cops. There's no implication about cops. No. Mm. She's just saying, can you go fast? This is, this is a bit of classic genius. Like, Do you remember when we talked about Starman by David Bowie mm. and there was just all of that? Mm. What are you smoking? <laughs> it's like that, yeah. It's like they've just discovered the song, like, don't get him starting on two become one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. They've just discovered that songs have hidden meanings and they're really running with it. Last last <laughs> bit, my personal favourite, in the chorus when she says, baby, you got the keys. The key is the subject's penis. <laughs> <laughs> so, Shut up and drag. <laughs> but it's keys, plural. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's got two. She's singing to That's a mini penis alien. So yeah, if, if Rihanna's pop classic is anything to go by, though, you, you might want to stop worrying about driving and prepare yourself for something else altogether. So um, they've had this epic lovemaking session, Bruno and his girlfriend. And then at the end of it, she goes, yeah, but still, how are we going to get to Wales? <laughs> <laughs> and if she does say that, you could take some literal advice from Rihanna uh, and stop being a baby and just shut up and drive. <laughs> Without a licence. <laughs> you can do that, Liam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, that's my advice for today. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it, but I'm going to give... I think I'm probably going to be a bit more useful to you, Bruno. For a start, I want to say I'm a full-grown adult, but never learned to drive. I find it embarrassing to have to lie about it. Are you fucking serious? <laughs> like, when you're a full-grown adult, you could just say to people, uh, yeah, I don't drive. You'd be so embarrassing. <laughs> so embarrassing. Oh! <laughs> Who will give a shit if you don't drive? So I'm just saying, Bruno, what the fuck is wrong with you? Who cares if you can drive or not? Most adults, if you tell them, will just go, oh, that's interesting. So how do you get around? And you can say, I get a fucking train. <laughs> so to that end, I want to teach you what happens to liars, Bruno. With the help of The Mayor of Casterbridge by Thomas Hardy, published in 1886. This is a book that contains many liars and many lies. And the reason it contains so many lies is probably because it was originally released in weekly installments. And Hardy wanted to keep it exciting. Every week had to have a new twist. But still, even though he's, you know, keeping it twisty, it's still regarded as one of his masterpieces. So, Michael Henchard in The Mayor of Casterbridge, is a 21-year-old hay trusser. Do you know what a hay trusser is? Someone who trusses hay, isn't it? There you go. Who Done. has an <laughs> argument with his wife at a country fair. And because he's drunk, after this argument with his wife, he decides to auction her off, along with his baby daughter. He gets five guineas for her. As you do. This is only up to 2017, but adjusted for inflation in 2017, that was £69. That is a bargain. So it's, it's probably about three grand today, then. <laughs> adjusted, adjusted for today's inflation, yeah. Whoa, economy um, jokes. Nice. <laughs> We're going highbrow this In this series. economy? Uh, so that is a bargain for a woman and a child. <laughs> that is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So he wakes up with a hangover and the fear, as you would. Mm. What the fuck did I do? <laughs> my, my wife can piece it together for me. Oh, where, is, where is she? <laughs> he wants to buy them back, but he's missed them. They're gone. He vows never to touch alcohol again for 21 years. Well, he says a time to <laughs> Is that the vow? <laughs> I don't know why he chooses 20, 21 years. He'll be, he'll be mature enough to not auction off his wife. Then. He negotiates with himself forever. Maybe because he's 21 years old, he thinks, for the whole of my life again, I will never drink. And and then once that's over, I'll drink loads. On his, on his 42nd birthday, he sells his wife again. <laughs> Shit, I got drunk again. <laughs> anyway, his wife believes the auction was legally binding, so she lives with her buyer for 18 more years until he's lost at sea, at which point she decides that her life hasn't been shit enough and she decides to return to Michael Henchard. <laughs> I'll seek out the bloke who sold me. Why not? <laughs> I haven't suffered enough abuse in this life. Now, first lie. Henchard was embarrassed about how he lost his wife, as you would be. So he's been avoiding the subject, letting people think he was a widower. And he's become... A widiot. <laughs> a widiot. He's a widiot. He's a widiot and a widower. <laughs> and he's become mayor of the town in the meantime. He's become quite successful. Fucking Le Miserable. Mm. Yeah, and he's um, Hugh Jackman by this point. <laughs> <laughs> he's Wolverine. He's like, oh, good day, mate. I'm Wolverine. <laughs> Want to see my claws? I think, I think Le Miz would have been so much better if Hugh Jackman was Wolverine instead of Jean Valjean. <laughs> <laughs> and this leads to the second lie. 
When she returns, he proposes that they remarry after a sham courtship so that his daughter never learns of his disgrace, what he did to give them up. So when you sell them, does that dissolve your marriage? Yeah, it's confusing, isn't it? I I don't know the legalities (laughs) of this. Asking for a friend? (laughs) (laughs) That's a quick and easy way out. Why did Henry Ape do this? (laughs) It's true, yeah. I'm going to sell you now. Um, So he proposes that they... You know, pretend to date each other and then remarry. That's the second lie of the book. All he has to do is dump his current girlfriend to achieve this. Because in the meantime, he's got another girlfriend. And that's easy. Like, she, this other girlfriend, only, like, nursed him through a bad illness or some shit. Like, fuck her off. Well, she could have got sold. She could be worse. <laughs> he sounds like a bell end, doesn't he? Third lie. It turns out that Elizabeth Jane, the daughter that his sold wife has returned with is not actually his daughter after all the one that they had together died in infancy and this new one is the daughter of the bloke he sold her to and she just named her elizabeth jane as like a replacement so susan has lied about the child she's brought back how she rewarded for this lie shortly after they remarry she dies (laughs) if you lie you will die bruno (laughs) But the main guy don't die. Listen, after that, Henchard fucks people out of jobs, tries to steal his ex-girlfriend back, the one that he dumped to remarry his old wife that he sold, tries to steal her back off of some bloke who was trying to bang his not-daughter. It's a bit Shakespearean, all this uh, Mm. intertwining love affairs, isn't it? And Henchard tells the fourth lie when Elizabeth Jane's real dad returns from being lost at sea to reclaim her. He tells him that she's dead so that he'll fuck off. And after all this fuckwittery, after four lies, Henchard has no choice but to turn back to the drink. This is after his vow has expired, though. Okay. So, So he's all right. That's fine. And he drinks himself to death, leaving only a note saying that he wants to be forgotten. So, Bruno, my lesson in two cases, Susan and uh, Michael Henchard, is if you lie, you will die. (laughs) For someone who wants to be forgotten, he did a lot of memorable <laughs> shitty stuff. Yeah. Uh, did he? Uh, this vow of not t- drinking alcohol. Did he tell anyone about that? Because it sounds a lot to me like it got to twenty-one years, and he was just like, "I've done long enough. I'll just pretend it was only for that long, and then I'll start drinking again." <laughs> yeah, guys, I, I said it would be twenty-one years. None of you were listening. You... <laughs> I said I was never going to drink again for twenty-one years. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't hear the second bit. Interesting. So if you lie, you'll die. Shut and up and, shut up and shut drive out of license, in which case you'll probably die. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff, guys. Excellent. Yeah, it's not even without a license. It's without the ability to drive. I didn't think about that. <laughs> so I think this is a issue about growing up. Like you said, Aaron, don't why lie about it. You need to grow up. Um, so I'm going to talk about Big Daddy from 1999. Oh, I thought you were going to oh. talk about Directed by Dennis Dugan. Might be Duggan. I'm going to say Dugan. <laughs> so exotic. Dugan. Denis Dugan. <laughs> um, but first, one of the best things I've discovered is um, higher or lower Rotten Tomato scores for Adam Sandler films. <laughs> because what a plethora of um, things he's done. And probably wildly varying vary well, as well. let's find out. So I'll start you off with our uh, control film. Uncut Gems. Not seen it. Have you seen it? No. I really want to, and my yeah. wife really doesn't want to. 
Hmm. I've heard that for the whole time you feel horribly anxious. Like the whole that film doesn't makes sound like you something feel you anxious. want to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay if it's not my life. <laughs> okay, so 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. Critic score as well. So a big, big outing for Adam Sandler. It's kind of like his, oh my God, he's a serious actor kind of film. Oh my God, this guy can act. <laughs> 40 years after he started acting. <laughs> but, is, it, is it not a comedy then? I don't know. So Liam, Uncut Gems 91%, 91%. Grown Ups. Higher or lower? Grown up. It's the one where they're on a flume in the picture. Yeah, that's, that's how I know it as well. Yeah. I thought, I thought I'd seen this, but I was thinking of Role Models, which is not an Adam Sandler film. Um, I think it's probably going to be lower than 91%. You're correct. 11%. Ooh. Aaron. That's harsh. Hotel Transylvania 3. He plays Higher. Jack. Higher. 62%. Ooh. It's the best of the Hotel Transylvanias, according is to Mars Martyrs. Uh, Liam. Grown Ups 2. Well, if Grown Ups 1 was 11, it's got to be lower. 8%. Oh! 8! <laughs> now, film Close to My Heart, PBMC 2. Paul Blart, More Cop 2. <laughs> um, higher or lower than 8%? Higher, but marginally, I reckon. 6%. Oh, oh my God! God. <laughs> Liam, Jack and Jill. This is where he plays twins, woman and male. Yeah, um... And I, just to give you a clue, Liam, I think it was panned, wasn't yeah. it? But I, not- think, I think it's going to be low, but is it going to be lower than 6%? I don't think so. Higher? Higher. 3%. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get back into less murky territory. So what is the percentage, by the way? Is it critics, positive reviews from critics? So out oh. of all the critics, all the positive reviews? 3% yeah. think it was good. Wow. <laughs> uh, click, Aaron. Uh, higher than three. Thirty-four <laughs> percent. Mr. Deeds, which I remember being quite a good one. Uh, higher. Lower. Twenty-two percent. Oh. Aaron, Little Nicky, another classic. I loved that film as a teenager. I'm sure, I wouldn't now if I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> I would put it higher. Twenty-one percent. Oh, oh, marginal. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> Liam, Juice Bigelow. Mal Gigolo. I've not seen this either. Yeah. Uh, this strikes me as a film that you would love, Aaron. I don't know if you've seen it, though. I haven't seen it. Uh, higher. 22%. Very oh, nice. yes. <laughs> This is a good one. Better than the Batman one, because they're much closer, aren't they? Mm. <laughs> uh, the Waterboy, Aaron. Oh, I love yeah, that film. Absolute classic. Well. Yeah. yeah. Higher. 33%. Yeah. It seems good for an Adam Sandler film now, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Big Daddy. Subject of the day. Not seen him. Oh You've never God. seen Big Daddy? No. You got I wipe my own ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a quote. <laughs> just... Hey, look, he's pissing on his own. <laughs> uh, lower. A 39%. Oh. Higher. I think okay. that's probably going to be the highest rated, surely. Well, let's find out. Happy Gilmore. Films. Happy Gilmore, Aaron. Surely. I'm going to say higher then, seeing as you made a face when I said that's got to be the highest. Big Daddy, 39. Happy Gilmore, 61. Mm. And then lastly, Liam, my favourite, Wedding Singer. The Wedding Singer. That's a good one. I don't think I've ever seen this properly. Oh my God. Just because I love Happy Gilmore, I'm going to say lower. Higher, 69%. Wow. Bloody hell. Mm. So he's got what? One, two. He's got other stuff, but one, two, three, four of the ones we talked about there of a lot of films are certified fresh. So what happens in Big Daddy? Um, Adam Sandler plays Sonny, who's a layabout. And he's not, he's got a really nice apartment in New York. He's got a law degree, but it doesn't work because he got, I think he got, his foot got run over and he sued the person, so he lives off the money from the lawsuit. <laughs> so he does yeah. fuck all, he just watches sport, he goes to the park and trips people up when they're skating with logs and stuff like that. He's just, he's actually a real prick. 
Yeah. That's his life, basically, every day. And then this young boy comes into his life. He just gets dropped on his doorstep called Julian um, because his flatmate is Julian's dad, but his dad doesn't know about him. But the mum just leaves him there for some reason. Yeah, and just, the dad's on a business trip, so yeah. Adam Sandler decides to... Yeah, be his dad, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As you do. And he decides to um, bed the child, in, child into his kind of lazy lifestyle and lets the child do whatever he wants. And um, it works for a while because the child seems happy. He wears what he wants. He calls himself... Frankenstein. <laughs> That's it, yeah. He eats ketchup only. Um, (laughs) He does that trick where you let the spit out and he nearly touches the floor and then sucks it back in. Did you see that? That one nearly touched the floor. (laughs) (laughs) He started tripping people up. Um, Sonny uses him to pick up girls at the park. Goes, help, help, I'm lost. I don't know where I am. (laughs) And he teaches him, um, takes him to the supermarket, throws cans at the floor and then gets a discount on them because they're damaged. (laughs) So it seems like Things are going well, but it starts to unravel um, when he starts to stink and <laughs> and be unhealthy. And um, he wants to go to school. So he says, oh, look, he wants to go to school. He thinks his methods are really good because he wants, decides to go to school on his own. But when he goes to school, he's wearing stupid things. He's calling himself Wankenstein. <laughs> and he's pissing in a plant pot and stuff yeah. like that. So he has to clean up his act a bit. But, well, actually, when, he, when it gets difficult and he needs to actually parent the kid, he decides to take him to the adoption agency and give him up. And then he says, all right, we'll find a group home. He's like, oh, no, I'll look after him until we find a family or whatever. And then he starts to, like, kind of really get on with the child. And he finds a girl. And things start to settle down a little bit for him. But then just when things are going well and he thinks this is okay, actually, he gets arrested because the child's not his. And he's stolen it, basically. (laughs) (laughs) A bit like a Jack Black thing in... uh... School of Rock. Rock. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so there's lots of laughs, lots of cries. Adam Sandler at this period had a lot of sentimentality mixed with his mm. stupid. It's a bit of a weird mix because they're both like complete opposites. Yeah, they? yeah. They so, would have like, his characters would have complete turnarounds. Yeah. <laughs> so at the end he's in court and um, like he has loads of character witnesses about how he's a great guy and then his father calls him like a prick basically and he goes <laughs> it's okay dad, you don't have to be afraid anymore and stuff like that. He's yeah, like, I think his dad's quite a famous actor in it, isn't he? He looks like Harvey Keitel, but I don't think it is. Uh, but, um, and then he's about, he's about to like basically get sent to prison for stealing a child, and then the dad actually arrives and says, "I want to drop the charges." I don't know if you can drop charges for someone actually committing a crime, though. Like, drop the charges that I didn't raise. Yeah. <laughs> and the court goes, "Well, you can't." So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, sends him to life. Um, and then it all ends up well. Julian's real dad takes him on, and then Sonny's like an uncle to him, and it's all happy. But the point of it is Happy he... Gilmore. Yeah. <laughs> Sequel. <laughs> so the kind of message in Big Daddy is that sometimes it's time to grow up. So you said you were grown up. Like you say, stop lying about driving. Either learn to drive or say, I can't drive. Yeah, Find alternatives. Do you know what will happen? You're, not gonna not, you're probably not going to not go to Wales if you don't. If you say, I can't drive, maybe the girl you're seeing will drive. Mm. Well, how about that, you know? Maybe she'll find a man who doesn't lie, and he'll take her to Wales, and you'll be at home, alone, dead. Because if you lie, you will die. (laughs) And if you drive without a license and the ability, you will die. (laughs) Shut up and drive. (laughs) 
Whoa there, Rudolph. What have we here? It's Christmas time at Agony Yard. They are full of festive cheer. There's tinsel trees, some fresh mince pies, and a keg of German beer. The hosts can't wait till Christmas Day, but for them there'll be a twist. For I have heard their crude podcast, and they're on the naughty list. To problem two. I dumped a girl a couple of months ago and she hasn't left me alone since. She constantly calls and texts me, begging to have me back. And I'm almost certain I saw her staring at me from behind a freezer door at Iceland the other day. She's even invading my dreams now. And not in a good way. How do I shake this stage five clinger? How many times have your dreams been invaded by another person? Oh, so much. <laughs> How do they invade? Army or just like kind of... <laughs> <laughs> wedge themselves in I think it's usually like espionage isn't it to start with yeah they reveal themselves they suddenly appear like in Mission Impossible yeah Mask. they pull off someone else's face <laughs> <laughs> no I have a lot of dreams about people from my past that I've hurt <laughs> mm. yeah all those anxieties that we've talked about in previous ev- episodes I think all of these problems are actually you <laughs> every week uh, no I've never done to go <laughs> they always dump me. I've always been dumped. <laughs> I don't think um, well, I've been very happily married, but I think I don't think I could dump anyone. I think I'll just live miserably for the rest of my life. That's the, the problem, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, you don't want to hurt their feelings, but you also don't want to be with them. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you just sit there in silence Wait, instead. Is, are you describing your marriage right now? <laughs> <laughs> In, um, <laughs> you don't want to call the divorce lawyer, but... <laughs> in The Sopranos, I remember an episode where um, his sister Janice just, like, finds a tiny reason to fly off the handle with someone. And, like, he don't, he don't take his shoes off when he comes in the house. And she, like, throws him down the stairs. And it's, like, too far gone to, like, stay together now. Job done. Kind yeah. of thing. So Then you'd know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Having, having an emotional conversation? Fuck. Mm-hmm. So what was that person's name you just said? Janet. Janet. Janice. Janice. Yeah. Should we call this person Janice? Janice Soprano. To anonymize them. Yeah, let's do it. Janice Soprano. Do we have to full name them every Is time? Is that with a, a C or an S? A C. I've never seen Janice with an S. Ah. I think Liam's auntie's is I think it's always with a J. Yeah. Sanis? Stanis. Stanis. Janice Baratheon. <laughs> I like it. That's what it is. All right. I'm going to help Janice Baratheon. First of her name. (laughs) I read a book this year that I loved so much that I had no choice but to rave about it constantly. You two will have heard me rave about it. And while I was doing that, I promised that I would find a way to bend it to my will and use it as a problem solver in agony art. It's totally irrelevant. (laughs) It's probably not going to help you, Janice, but here, here goes. Get ready for a wild, dangerous, mostly irrelevant ride. Entangled Life by Merlin Sheldrake is a non-fiction book about the amazing life of fungus. (laughs) (laughs) I have heard you very well. (laughs) And how it intertwines with nearly every living thing on Earth. And we rely on it for so much. Literally, our planet and the life that lives on it would not be able to survive like they do now if fungi didn't exist. So it's okay that fungus grows all over me. Yeah. 
Fungus is inside you right now. Fuck. Not in a sexual way. Well, maybe. <laughs> also, you... Fungus is famously good at dumping people, so it is relevant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we'll wait for that. Yeah. <laughs> for example, did you know that plants can't absorb nutrients properly through their roots? There's basically a network of fungi that stretches through the soil beneath the floor of every forest and flower bed, wraps itself around and inside the roots of plants and trees and runs like a nutrient exchange with plants. It is absolutely amazing. Nature's internet. Yeah. It takes nutrients from the soil, gives plants the nutrients that they can't absorb properly from the soil and absorbs nutrients in exchange that it can't get from the sun. Now, if a plant needs more phosphorus, for example, it will up its price of what it needs. There is literally like, it, well, let me take a forest example because I'm explaining it badly. There are networks of fungi that stretch throughout a forest floor and they will be exchanging nutrients between, between trees. It's one fungal network. And if a certain part of the forest needs something more than another part, they found that the fungus will push the nutrients that that area of the forest needs to that area of the forest because it can get a higher price for it that like the trees mental. over there are giving more nutrients what to the fungus about? because are they're you okay, Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> i swear it's like a trading floor they're like bye bye yeah, bye sell 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 profiteering that's what it <laughs> yeah. is and they don't know if it's because they know they're getting a higher price you know there's some kind of intelligence there or they just notice you know there's less phosphorus in this part of the thing, so I'll even it out for myself. You know, maybe the fungus isn't, but it's amazing. It is incredible. I've heard, and this is right, that a tree will send nutrients to its kind of offspring before other trees and stuff like that via the fungal network. I don't know. Maybe. When, when the tree falls in the forest and only the fungus is there to hear it, does it make a sound? Yeah, the fungus goes... You're right, mate. Do <laughs> <laughs> you want some nutrients? Hello. Give me some pastas. <laughs> mate moans about the noise. <laughs> Fuck, you know, that was loud. <laughs> I'm trying to fungus here. <laughs> hey, I'm fungus in here. <laughs> anyway, uh, and this kind of relationship is the very reason that the term symbiosis was invented. This is symbiotic relationship goals. <laughs> um, more amazing fungi, Ophiocordyceps. They infect carpenter ants, take over their bodies, and control them like puppets. The ants walk around being controlled by the fungus. This they is where um, The Last of Us got the idea, isn't it? Let me get to that. All right, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they make these ants climb the nearest plant up to a height of exactly, or around. <laughs> it's either 25 or 45 centimetres. I wrote this from memory. Make them bite into the best place on the plant to bite. It's like a main vein in the leaf. At exactly noon. <laughs> yeah. And then they blast a mushroom through the skull of the ant. And then the, the mushroom that they push out rains spores down on all the ant's mates. Who then obviously get infected. <laughs> what the fuck? Absolutely fucking mental. And if you look it up, look at a picture of these ants. It is so scary. And uh, you're right, Liam. A strain of this is what inspired The Last of Us. A strain of this is the cause of all the zombies in The Last of Us, which is an amazing video game and Upcoming a TV, TV show series. coming to HBO on January the 15th. So that's only a few weeks away. They've been doing this for 48 million years as well. We found 
Not we. You, <laughs> you, you How and involved I, are you in this? You and I have done nothing. <laughs> so that's an amazing fungus. Psilocybin producing mushrooms, which are magic mushrooms, and what um, we make LSD out of. When are we doing that? Well, listen to this, Liam. Have been found over and over again to be miracle cures for all kind of mind fuckery. So much so that I genuinely do want to do some magic mushrooms. <laughs> so if you're up for it, well, I will do it. To see if it works some kind of magic on the anxieties that we keep mentioning. Listen it, to this. It might push the bad nutrients that are bad anxiety out of your brain. and Yeah, out of my butthole. <laughs> <laughs> and into a tree. You see, you see like ghouls come out of your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to this direct quote from the book. In 2016, two sister studies at New York University and Johns Hopkins University administered psilocybin alongside a course of psychotherapy to patients suffering from anxiety, depression, and existential distress following diagnoses with terminal cancer. After a single dose of psilocybin, 80% of patients showed substantial reductions in their psychological symptoms reductions that persisted for at least six months after the dose. Psilocybin reduced demoralization and hope, hopelessness, improved spiritual well-being and increased quality of life. Participants described exalted feelings of joy, bliss and love and a movement from feelings of separateness to interconnectedness. More than 70% of participants rated their experience as one of the top five most meaningful experiences in their lives. How amazing is that? Uh, that sounds incredible. I'm not stopping there, Carl. Oh. I put on a timer and I'm going to exhaust it myself. <laughs> <laughs> More amazing stuff. They're making bricks out of fungus, furniture, shipping materials, computers, you name it. They're going to take over the world. Yeah. They already have. Uh, the people in charge are basically fungus, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> They're lower than fungus. Um, he also talks about the fungus we're most familiar with, mushrooms, truffles, truffle hunters, other mushroom hunters. Quote, the yellow staining mushroom is described in most field guides as poisonous. A keen mushroom hunter with a large mycological library once told me about an old guidebook he owned in which the same mushroom was described as delicious when fried. Although the author did add as an afterthought that the mushroom may cause a light coma in those of weak constitution. <laughs> <laughs> but it's delicious. <laughs> yeah. And if you think that, you know, I don't want to read about fungus, but what do you think I am? Some kind of fungi? <laughs> <laughs> there are amazing non-fungi related facts in well, it. Well, just well. on the fungus, I think this is a really, really a good example of poor marketing. Because you think fungus, you think, ugh. Yeah. Fucking... They need a good marketing team. They need... They? This book is that marketing team. Yeah. They finally, this... after 48 million years... <laughs> <laughs> they got the right PR guys in. Look, I, I don't want to rain on the fungal parade. This, this is really interesting. But what the hell has this got to do with the problem? Oh, you just wait, Liam. You and wait then, another 20 minutes till I get there. And you should have said, I don't want to spore on the, the fungal. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you haven't got mushroom in your brain for this fungi, <laughs> there are amazing non-fungi related facts. Termites, quote, Termites are reported to consume between $1.5 and $20 billion a year of property in the United States. In 2011, termites found their way into a bank in India and ate 10 million rupees in banknotes. Oh, no. <laughs> oh last night. So this, <laughs> How many rupees did we eat? <laughs> Which is about 250 grand in US dollars, I think. 
Now, a disclaimer, it's, uh, apart from the bits that I directly quoted, it's possible that a lot of what I just said is bullshit because it's all incredibly clever and interesting and I wrote a lot of it from memory and some of it might have been too big for my tiny brain. This is just how I remember what I read. <laughs> so it depends on whether I uh, interpreted it properly. But if I got it wrong, then that's good because it means you'll have to read it to get the correct information. Read this book. Anyway, suppose what I'm saying, Liam, is... Janice. I forgot the problem, actually. <laughs> Janice, is your ex really obsessed with you? Or are you obsessed with her? You're seeing her everywhere, after all. Was she really at Iceland? Or were you just thinking about her so much that you hallucinated? Like someone on magic mushrooms. <laughs> gotcha. Oh. Or are you, like a forest and its fungus, obsessed with each other? Are you made for each other? Like mycelium and plant roots. Is it... A symbiotic relationship, the likes of which could make for the single most interesting book I've read all year. <laughs> if so, then you really have no choice. Just like those amazing trees and their fungus friends, like bread and its yeast, yeast is a fungus, like our guts and their vital microbes, like all of the beautiful nature that relies so much on incredible fungus, you are made for each other. And the only way you can survive is by being together. Or, if not, you could hide in the dark like a truffle <laughs> until she leaves you alone. Or a pig comes and finds you. <laughs> and then Nicolas Cage <laughs> turns up. Aaron Dunn. I don't know how to follow that. <laughs> uh, well, when I heard this problem, I didn't think about fungus at all. Um... <laughs> what? <laughs> you didn't read the problem right, did you? <laughs> It reminded me of a song that I think we've mentioned in passing before, but have never discussed in detail. Shut up and drive. <laughs> Shut up and fungus. <laughs> and that is the police's 19... Friends of the show, the police's 1983 single, Every Breath You Take. The classic stalker anthem. On the slim chance that you haven't heard this song, the reason why everyone thinks it's a stalker's anthem is uh, because of the words, and here is a brief snippet. Every single day, every word you say... Every game you play, every night you stay, I'll be watching you. <laughs> um, From behind a freezer door at Iceland. <laughs> oh, supermarkets are available. <laughs> um, I think this is a particularly interesting song, though, because usually when you hear songs like this, the, region, the original intention was like quite innocent, and it's like only in hindsight people are like, that's a weird song. But no, apparently Sting was quite shocked at how many people thought it was a nice love song at the time because he intentionally wrote it to be dark and brooding and to sound like a stalker. Uh, and you can see in the video, the video is the police performing it in like a, I think it's supposed to be like a jazz bar. It's in like, it's shot in black and white. He's on a double bass playing it. And while he's playing his double bass, he's like, I'll be watching you. And he looks really angry. And, uh, and everyone's like, oh, he looks so angry. Why does he look so angry? This is such a nice song. And he was like, it's not a nice song. <laughs> it's a bit rich for someone to be watching you all the time, but then also saying, don't stand so close to me. Maybe you can watch yeah. him easier if he says, come stand closer to me. <laughs> and then when someone does leave him alone, he's like, I'm lonely. <laughs> Mixed messages. Still. Can't fucking make his mind up, can he? <laughs> the song doesn't really help because it, it, it continues in that same vein throughout and lyrically it's about like grief and anger after a romantic separation. So it's not that helpful. But I'm not just going to stop there because this is agony art after all. And I thought to myself, why not look at, at fungus? <laughs> a 
the fungus behind the <laughs> no, at the at the agony behind the art. Oh. <laughs> so Sting wrote this in 1982 after separating from his wife, the actress Frances Tumulty. Do you know her? No. No, me neither. And the split was quite the cause for controversy at the time because they had two kids and Sting had an affair with their next door neighbour and Tomalty's reported best friend, Trudy Styler. And the papers, as you might imagine, had a field day. They were like, oh, this is terrible, raw, raw, raw. Which, to be honest, <laughs> it was pretty bad. Yeah. Um, and so he wrote Every Breath You Take, the song about the angry ex-lover during this time. And as far as I know, he never, he's never come out and said it was about his ex-wife. But you've got to wonder where he got that inspiration from, didn't you? Mm. What does genius say? Oh. This is about his ex-wife. I think <laughs> she can go through all the lights and run from the cops. <laughs> he means intercourse. <laughs> <laughs> this is his penis. <laughs> so what would Sting do if he was in your position and had to get away from his ex? What did he do in real life? Pretty simple. He went to the Caribbean. Specifically, he went to Ian Fleming's Goldeneye estate in Jamaica. And he wrote this song there. So that's my advice to you based on real life agony art. Run away. Go on holiday. <laughs> to the Caribbean. By the time you get back, it's all blown over. Yeah. That's sound advice. By the way, another reason to dislike Sting. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know this. As uh, if you need it anymore. Yeah. You know, this song was sampled in 1997. Puff Daddy, are Puff we missing Daddy you? featuring. Faith Evans and T something. Do you know why Faith Evans is significant? She sings the main bit, no? She is uh, Biggie Smalls' widow. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm, I didn't know that either. Um, so, yeah, beautiful tribute to Notorious B.I.G. who had died that year. Um, sung by his widow. What did Sting do when he heard... Sued him. Of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> what a bastard. Puff Daddy has formed for not getting permission to do something. I was going to say, like, yeah, it's a bit insensitive, but I would protect my copyright as well. <laughs> There's, um, not to bring, it's funny. Fun fact about the guitar part from Every Breath You Take, it was inspired by a Bella Bartok violin duet, apparently. Is that a fun fact? No. No. <laughs> Boring fact. <laughs> Shit fact. <laughs> Aaron, you've done your bit. It's fungus. So it's me. There's a lot of um, stalkery type of film stuff out there. Mm. And I can't remember what episode it was, but look back at uh, the single white female one where... Um, mm. yeah, that was one of the early ones, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, she become Retro the woman, on. yeah. And I did think of using Cape Fear, which is a uh, quite a famous film. Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro. Uh, but I could not stop thinking of Sideshow Bob. <laughs> Treading on rakes. <laughs> Which is yeah. the Simpsons um, spoof of it. Yeah, there's a sound that he makes every... <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm going to talk about One Hour Photo from 2002. Love that film. Directed by Mark Romanek. Yeah, this is a great film. I've seen it probably once around when it came out and thinking it's a great film. It's uh, Robin Williams in a real departure from being Robin Williams. Um Robin Williams is one of the people that when he died, I really felt it. Like, I don't often feel... I think, oh, it's yeah. sad celebrity dies, but this one may be quite sad. A bit like Harry yeah. Rickman as well. Yeah, um, really sad. Yeah, got a proper tro- troubled soul. Mm. But he's been in some serious stuff, like um, Good Morning Vietnam, mm. serious film. But he's like Robin Williams in a serious film yeah. kind of thing. Patch Adams. He's mm. in One Hour Photo, is that what it's called? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Liam hasn't been listening to <laughs> all the words. You should be about Sideshow Bob. I was, I thought you were going to talk about The Simpsons. 
Um, one Hour Photo is a really good film. He's Whoa, this... Liam seen something. Yeah. Carl, he's in this yeah. film called One Hour Photo. <laughs> you should probably use it for this Can example. Can you tell me about <laughs> it? <laughs> Describe the plot to me. This would be a hell of a generous. <laughs> but it's only one hour. <laughs> it disappears. I hope, I hope <laughs> you recommend this at the end of the episode because this is a brilliant film. Really, <laughs> All right, really good. I will. Fucking hell. <laughs> we'll see, Liam. No spoilers. Um, so, very briefly, Robin Williams um, plays Sire. I, think, I can't remember his full name. Sai the photo guy. Sai the photo That's guy. That's what they call him, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and he develops the Yorkins family photos for nine years mm. while he's at this supermarket. Um, and little do they know he's become obsessed with them and he makes copies of their photos for his own house and he visualises being part of a perfect family as he sees it. Um, and he tries to get close to them. Am I on the right track? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah good, good. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's just your uncomfortable nose. Um, and yeah, he makes like advances to try and like be more close than the side of photo guy to them. Um, he does and, them like favours and stuff, doesn't he? And gives yeah. them stuff for free. He and... gives the boy a camera and stuff like that, yeah. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> so when does he step on the rakes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, for some reason... Because plot, the supermarket do an audit and they find out that over the last nine years he's developed way more photos than he's charged for. So he gets caught for the copying thing. And they also find out via audit that he takes 90-minute 90, 90 lunch breaks. I don't know how you audit that. <laughs> Unless he stamps in and out, I don't know. Yeah. That's more than one hour. <laughs> yeah, but he's not developing it's not one hour. Now. It's not one hour lunchtime. It's not called that. <laughs> This reminds me of a film called One Hour Lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he gives stuff away, like the camera to the boy. I think Jake, his name is. Um, so he gets gets dismissed, sacked, and um, it starts his kind of psychotic break, which is also made worse when he discovers Mr. York and he's having an affair. And that that shatters his visualisation of being a perfect family. Mm. So whilst he seems creepy... He's actually, it seems like everything's okay because he's just obsessed with his perfect family. Like, there's no, it's weird, but there's no, like... He doesn't want to harm them. No. In any way. Exactly. But that's just step one to wanting to harm them, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. Watching them and stealing their photos and putting them on a mural mm. wall that you have that dedicated weird? to their is family. That, is that weird? <laughs> <laughs> it's just step one to murdering them. <laughs> <laughs> I would argue it's probably step four or five. <laughs> no, step one. Okay. Everything yeah. else up to that is fine. <laughs> it's a slippery slope. Um, so the police get kind of wind of his behaviour and they're investigating him. And um, he follows Mr. York into a, mo- a motel where he's doing the wild mumba with his mistress. <laughs> and he holds them by knife point and makes them pose in sexual positions. Oh, God. While yeah, he takes fucking fo- hell. And he takes photos. The police turn up and he runs away, but he gets apprehended. And he says, "I was just taking photos." <laughs> In a creepy way, yeah, just um, like the genie from Aladdin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cave of wonders. That's not a genie. But under interrogation, it kind of turns out that he was abused and photos mm. were taken of him as a child and. Um, he didn't have a perfect family at all, far from it. He was just a, an abuse child. So, And then they look at the character photos, and he just take, he doesn't take photos of them in sexual positions. He takes photos of objects in the hotel room. Yeah. So you kind of left feeling a little bit of sympathy for mm. weird side of photo guy. Still very creeped out by him, but you do feel a bit sorry for him. Yeah. You? Especially 
because it's Robbie Willi- Robin <laughs> Robbie Williams. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving that family instead. <laughs> <laughs> because it's Robin Williams. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's why I liked it so much because. It was a Robin Williams it. film, and you you expect it to be like goofy and stuff, and it just isn't. It's yeah, the total yeah. opposite of that, isn't it? Yeah. We watched it literally about a year ago. Did you? I think my wife had never seen it, so I was like, "You have to see this film." Did you? Like and it? she was underwhelmed. Underwhelmed. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake! Because I built it up too much. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. You can't show people anything. No. It always ends badly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, tell me about it, then. <laughs> she was underwhelmed with the other thing that I showed her that day. <laughs> Um, so my point is actually, yeah, it's creepy, but maybe get under the skin of the problem. <laughs> She's obviously a troubled person. And so you either run away on holiday or tackle it head on. She mm. might not kill you. She might just take your photo. <laughs> and put it on her wall of photos she's got of you. Yeah. And if she gets it developed within one hour, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not these days. Snappy snaps. <laughs> these days you can literally upload it to your computer straight away. Oh, it's not the same. Can you have, is there the like same. a website for an online creepy mural? <laughs> yeah, printmycreepymural.com. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, you know, the, the girl's having a bit of a problem, so mm. maybe try and help her. What's your problem? There's no use trying to pretend you haven't got one. The three of us are here to lend a friendly ear and help you out with all that strife that's lately marked your life. Why not divulge it? You never know. We may have tips that help you solve it. We know it's unlikely, but it's an impossibility if you don't share your problem. Okay, on to problem three. I think I pissed my mate off by making a joke at the expense of his girlfriend. It wasn't a terribly funny joke, but she didn't mind, and if he'd ignored the whole thing, it would have been over and forgotten in a matter of seconds. But for some reason, it really bothered him, and he's been offering me ever since. Should I give him what he wants and apologise, and run the risk of making him feel like he was right for a strop, or just wait for it to blow over? Go to the Winchester. (laughs) (laughs) There's, um... Quite a famous example of this yeah. that we joked about in episode one. Will Smith and oh, uh, yeah. Chris oh, Rock. Yeah. Keep my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. Yeah. Um, it's so uncool for someone what's... so cool. Yeah. That's a very extreme example, isn't it? Yeah. Obviously, Chris Rock's joke, like this example, wasn't that funny, really. But Will Smith actually became the bad guy by acting that way, didn't he? And that's all for this episode. Um. <laughs> Will Smith, that's another enemy of the podcast. <laughs> oh, Sting Will so, Smith. The list is yeah. getting bigger. So he's the person... This person this is, is Chris, Chris Rock. Rock. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, so, yeah, so we call him Chris. Yeah. Shall I kick us off with some advice? Do it. Are you aware of a TV show called Nevermind the Buscocks? Mm. Yeah. Mm. You're going to talk about Preston. No. Oh. Yeah, I am, yeah. <laughs> um, so in 2007, this is during the Simon Amstel hosting of Nevermind the Buzzcocks. Very famously, um, he offended Preston from The Ordinary Boys so much that he stormed off and didn't come back. Mm. Remember this? Did you yep. watch it at the time? Yep. I remember yeah. thinking that it wasn't really something to be that offended about, but I can't remember exactly what you said. So I would I employ you to watch it back because... It seems like 
at the time, so basically what Simon, what Simon Amstel does is he reads from his wife, um, Chantelle Hooton, yeah. book, autobiography. Mm. Well, first off, he, he introduces Preston by saying, Preston was worried the marriage would isolate hardcore Ordinary Boys fans, but luckily neither of them were in the country or existed. <laughs> 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 so he gets off to like it's going to be a Preston beating session yeah. from the off um, and then he reads so she was a Paris Hilton lookalike if you remember mm, yeah guys. Um, the Paris Hilton work was a low point for me Simon read tauntingly <laughs> it wasn't that I want it wasn't what I wanted to be doing and on top of that it caused me some real problems with my hair <laughs> and then the other bit he read was um, Chantel felt poshed up market during a daily mouse shoot <laughs> <laughs> and that's when he marched yeah. off. So you would be unhappy about it because they're insulting your wife. I just feel watch it back. It's like real low hanging fruit as well. Yeah, like, do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, she's meant to be stupid and ditzy. Taking a piss is really easy to do. Yeah, and you're obviously baiting Preston as well. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I kind of yeah. I see it a little bit differently. I I've always thought until I did this research that Preston's a dick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I. Uh, no, I'm not going to say. Roll it out. I'm not going to say you're wrong. Yeah, I wouldn't roll it out. No, I wouldn't. Even, yeah, but yes, he's probably justified. But at the same time, like, there's some kind of waiting in my mind against Preston because he would have known what kind of show it was. There was always someone that they took the piss out of yeah. on Nevermind the Buzzcocks. And so, if you're invited onto the show, you have to think: Am I going to be that person? And if mm. so, how am I going to react? Yeah. You have to Prep for it. Yeah. Yeah. Or you'd go, I don't want to be that person, so I'm going to say no. Thanks. Yeah, it's true. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, that someone shouldn't have to be treated like that. So, I do, yeah. It's... I, used to, I used to really like Nevermind the Buzzcocks, but now whenever I see clips of it, I, I just find the, that whole humour just a bit annoying. You know, that whole like apathetic, yeah. incredibly yeah, dry. Done, isn't it? Yeah. But post this incident, um, Preston reflected on it in an interview to BBC and he said, I'm, shrug- I'm struggling to think of why I would have acted so weird. Simon is a funny, charming, and likable person, which made walking off all the more embarrassing. So he's reflected poorly on it himself, and he probably thinks what you thought. Well, like, I should have had it. I kind of should have prepared for that. Uh, you got to yeah. wonder how much you didn't see, though, because they wouldn't have. They wouldn't have aired the whole thing, would they? Yeah, they would probably edit out, edited out some jokes yeah. and stuff. And then he <laughs> said, um, "I wanted the floor to swallow up." I wanted the floor to swallow up and eat me. So I did the next best thing and ran away, which is terrible because I'm not really that sort of person to walk away from confrontation. I'm not really the sort of person to talk it out. So I don't know whether he's saying what he thinks he should have done post thing, but mm. um, what did Preston go on to do? Not a lot, really. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be, to be honest, I thought that as well because the Ordinary Boys split up. They had a reunion tour. Um, but then he wrote songs. It was writing songs for Liam Payne, Oddie Merce, Cher. Mm. So he's active. Share. He wrote Belief. He wrote Belief. <laughs> Do you believe I still play out of Buzzcocks? <laughs> <laughs> so um, when you say he didn't go on to do much, you're underplaying it a little bit. Yeah, I actually, yeah. He, actually he went did. on to do loads. <laughs> he's kind of, um, whilst he's not like headlining a band, he's active and working, which is good. Simon Amstel, what the fuck has he done? He mm. made a film called um, Carnage about vegans. Mm. And Benjamin, which made a hundred grand at the box office. So mm. really... What budget was it? It didn't say yet. <laughs> <laughs> might have been a ninety grand budget. It's ten grand profit. So I think the um, it might have been. Right. <laughs> I don't know what people expected from the ordinary boys, though. I mean, the clue's in the name, isn't it? I love you. You know that, don't you? 
What's going on? <laughs> Carl's finally cracked. <laughs> I believe that was an audio voice song, no? I think it was. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. That's what they used to intro Preston on Buzzcocks episode. Yeah. Um, my my, the, what's the point of this? Uh, I suppose it's you are the one that made the joke. You're Simon Amstel. Your mate is Preston. So how is this? This episode, it's all remembered. It doesn't matter what they went on to do. It's pretty much remembered as Preston being a dick. So maybe hold fast, let him be the petulant little, you know, because if it wasn't, if you if the girlfriend didn't mind and it wasn't that funny, people would be like, why the hell are you pissed off about that? So yeah. it doesn't really matter what he thinks, it matters what kind of everyone else thinks, I suppose. So Yeah, and maybe years later your friend will reflect on it in an interview with the BBC. <laughs> saying, I don't know why I was so pissed off I'm yeah. usually the person to talk it yeah. out yeah I just wrote a song for Cher by the way <laughs> do you believe <laughs> so that's me okay so leave it just let it simmer I don't think you should let it simmer I read another book this year I've read two whole books this year <laughs> are you okay <laughs> <laughs> my eyes hurt um, <laughs> one of them was Amsterdam by Ian McEwan winner of the 1998 Booker Prize. Very good at portraying Gandalf. It starts at the funeral of Molly Lane. She was a woman who was full of life, worshipped by straight men everywhere, many of whom she ended up shagging. Nice. (laughs) Shagadelic baby. (laughs) Three of her ex-lovers meet at this funeral. Two of them, Vernon, editor of a slowly failing newspaper, and Clive... Composer, he's writing the theme tune for the Millennium, which is a bit weird. <laughs> Our old friends, and they're brought together by the love of Molly. The other is Julian Garmany, current foreign secretary, who they despise and can't understand why she ever would have banged him. The implication being that he's a Tory. He doesn't say that, I don't think, but you know, he's right wing and she was very liberal. Um, so they're like, why would she ever have banged him? A while later, her widower, George, offers Vernon, the newspaper editor, something that might just save his paper. Pictures of Julian Garmany, the right-wing bloke, dressed in traditionally women's clothing. And I think some makeup as well. And since he's a hardline conservative, and this is the 90s, as far as I recall, it'll be huge as an exclusive, because, you know, it'll be like, look at this guy, he's one minute, he's... Uh, being all right wing and the next he's cross dressing <gasps> oh my god avant god <laughs> avant god <laughs> how avant god is that clothing <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what avant god means do you but Clive the composer the old friend of Vernon doesn't agree with publishing them he says they were private moments private photos of a private moment in Molly's life and publishing them would disrespect her memory how dare you think about publishing that just to use them to um, bring down this bloke and save your failing paper. Now, instead of talking it out, they basically get all tense and selfish, don't listen to each other, neither of them takes a moment to think, and they escalate the argument massively. They start to go like tit for tat in an ever-escalating feud. I think I won't go into detail because I'll let you read it, and now I'm going to be do a big spoiler, so... <laughs> Hit whatever. 30 minus 15. <laughs> hit whatever button you want to <laughs> skip this hit, hit if stop. you want to. <laughs> Gonna have a cup of tea. <laughs> if you want to skip this, the feud escalates until they kill each other. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Book done. Yeah. So, what I'm saying is, you don't want to let this escalate. This is this is your friend. I know you don't want to go into detail, but how do you kill each other? Like, It's a bit <laughs> odd, really. Like, You both stab each other at the same time. We have a duel. We're committed to doing the spoiler now, aren't we? Because mm. people aren't going to be able to skip this cleanly. <laughs> but <laughs> They've already skipped it. And then we go, how do they kill each other? <laughs> <laughs> one of them goes to the other one and says, like, uh, when they're in a softer moment, when they're not fighting, he says, you know, I've been thinking about our friend who died. And I don't want it to get to a point where I've, I'm so ill and old that I just want to be dead, so I want you to take me to Switzerland and have me bumped off by Dignitas if I get that far. Um, so he says, oh, yeah, all right, yeah, no, I'll do that for you. And then that is all very convoluted, and I can't believe it won the Booker Prize because it's like, <laughs> this is so silly. <laughs> it ends up that the, there's a convention in Switzerland or something, and they both arrange to have the cocktail fed to the other person, the drug cocktail that kills you. Right. And they pour it into each other's drinks without them knowing. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it's like fucking stupid. But anyway. Yeah, so my point is... Have you got one? You don't, you don't want the argument to escalate. These two started as friends. And they ended up in that position. Fish are might, friends, not food. <laughs> it might seem like you're giving in to ridiculous demands, but I think it's worth swallowing your pride and apologising even if you do it insincerely even if you don't mean it I mean I don't think in society enough use is made of the insincere apology it's true <laughs> Gary Barlow was a master of it whatever I said whatever I did I didn't mean it didn't mean it <laughs> <laughs> it went well. yeah. I think we should I just want you back alright yeah we should do it more just so that other people forgive us <laughs> it's true so do, do you have to be Openly insincere, or can you just no? You make them feel like yeah. you're being really sincere, but inside your head, you're thinking, "You mug." <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just can't help thinking, like just just because Will Smith uh, reacted the way he did, and everyone agreed that that was a terrible way to react, it doesn't mean that Chris Rock was right to make the joke he made about is about uh God, I've forgotten a name. Jade, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith. Jada Pinkett Jada Smith. Pinkett Smith. And he made, as you said, a bad joke. Not even a funny joke. What's the point of making that joke? Like, what, what was he... Was he hoping for more laughs? Presumably he was. But what is the best way to um, suppress a bad joke? Ignore it, surely. Not punch the person in the face. Yeah, no, no. But <laughs> do, do you see what I'm saying? Like, the fact that he did that doesn't take away from the fact that he made that joke in the first place and it was it was a bit insensitive it was in bad taste you wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't recommend people go around making jokes like that no but i don't think they should be punched in the face for it no it? no absolutely not but that's that's neither here nor there <laughs> <laughs> like i'm not saying yeah. i mean it wasn't a punch it was a slap but I, I'm not that's sa- neither yeah. here nor there i'm not, I'm not saying yeah go around slapping people in the face well it sounds like you are no i'm not <laughs> i agree Liam. we should go around slapping people in the face <laughs> I'm saying you should... You <laughs> Episode should... over. <laughs> so we got time for today. I'm saying you should reflect on what you did and, you know, have a real conversation with yourself and think, should I have made that joke in the first place? Should I rethink the type of jokes I'm making? Because like, it's one thing to make a joke that's really funny, that is at someone's expense, but everyone can laugh at it and, you know, they might not be that bothered. It's another thing to make a shit joke at someone's expense and no one laughs at it and then it's just like you're being a dickhead, doesn't it? So I was thinking about songs that in which people have uh, apologised or asked for forgiveness. 
Um, and there's quite a few. I think we spoke about a few before. Uh, Hard for me to say I'm sorry. Seems to be the hardest word. Shut up and drive. (laughs) (laughs) I landed on an absolute blast from the past. Do either of you remember? Akon, sorry, blame it on me. Further. Further past. I am the ghost of Further Past. (laughs) (laughs) Do either of you remember a certain album from 1998 by Mr. David Gray? Cannons. Is that what Cannonball. the Cannonball. 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 Uh, you're thinking no. of Damien Rice. Yeah, oh, oh. <laughs> So I guess the answer's no. <laughs> They're not, Spice, are, they, are they not the same people, Damien Rice, <laughs> David Gray? David Gray. But, but David Gray is a, is a bit of an un, underappreciated chap, I think. He he was the... What's I, the word? I think he's appreciated the exact right amount. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, and state it as a fact, that David Gray paved the way for singer-songwriters like Ed Sheeran and others of the, of the of a similar ilk. But Turn, it turns out, turns out... Ed Sheeran came before David Gray. No, it turns out the person who said that was David Gray. <laughs> <laughs> On so, the point here, actually. So maybe, maybe take that with a pinch of salt or a bag of salt. <laughs> anyway, White Ladder is the album I was talking about, released in 1998. Oh yeah, White Ladder up to the cannons. <laughs> it was his when you f- climb up to cannon balls. <laughs> it was his fourth studio album, and the first track on it was a song called "Please Forgive Me," which was also released as a single in 1999. Do you know this song? Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Let me go. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was. Because I don't love you anymore. No, no, it's not that one. Um, I haven't listened to this for ages, and so I did this week, and I didn't remember, but it is a beautiful song. I really like it. Sing it, Liam. Uh, all right, then. In the song, David implores the subject. Why do you ask if you don't want me to? I do, but you didn't. You started talking. <laughs> he says, please forgive me if I act a little strange. I'm not going to do the rest. No, I um, for I know not what I do. It feels like lightning running through my veins every time I look at you. Yeah, I thought it was going to be every time I do a person. <laughs> Probably my, is when you sing it. <laughs> in my bomb. No, but I, think, I just think, how lovely is that? I find it so relatable. Like It's an, it's an open, open admittance of, yeah, I can probably come across as a bit of a weirdo sometimes, but please forgive that because it's just because I'm nervous and I don't, know, I don't know how to act sometimes and you're amazing. And I thought to myself, is this really relevant? Maybe it <laughs> and is. And then I thought, No. <laughs> But I thought maybe it is, because maybe you can take this approach Too deep friend. into prep at this point, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I've spent two hours researching this song, this three-minute song. You could be, you know, you could take this approach to your friend. You could be open and honest. You could say, look, I thought I was being charming and funny, but obviously it backfired. It weren't that funny, and I'm sorry. And if they don't like that, you could pretend like David Gray that you... Uh, or a pioneer of apologising. <laughs> Look, everyone who's apologised got it off me. You paved the way for other people's shit jokes. You, know? <laughs> you float like a cannonball. I was going to say, you, you can pretend that the reason that you are awkward is because, really, every time you look at them, lightning runs through your veins and you love them. And that will probably freak them out enough to stop them being worried about it. <laughs> I insulted your girlfriend because I hate her because she's got you and I want you. Exactly. <laughs> And that's my short and sweet advice. I reckon oh. it wasn't that short. No. <laughs> we made it long for you. <laughs> you reckon lightning in your veins really hurts? Yeah. Yeah. 
(laughs) (laughs) On that note, thank you, Liam. (laughs) Thank you, David Gray, for for Ed Sheeran. For Um, Ed Sheeran. (laughs) Thank you for bringing us Ed Sheeran and Daniel Beddingfield. All right, brilliant. Good job, guys. So um, let's talk about favourite art of the day. Do you even need to be told, Carl? Fungus uh, book. Yeah. Mushroom, <laughs> mushroom madness. <laughs> mushroom mountains. <laughs> Is that uh, really art? <laughs> Entangled Life by Merlin Sheldrake. I'm going to read that. If you don't read it, mm. you will die. <laughs> <laughs> After you lie. <laughs> okay, Mushroom Madness from Aaron, Liam. Uh, David Gray? Yeah, David Gray, White Ladder. Listen to that. Oh, are you joking? <laughs> <laughs> Do you hate David Gray? It's just Naughty's Tosh, isn't it? It's not naughty. No, it's Naughty's not. Naughty's Tosh. It's, it's 90s. Crap. 90s cock. And it's not Tosh. <laughs> it's, the, it's the quintessential British singer-songwriter, David Gray. <laughs> First songwriter to ever write a song. <laughs> One hour photo, just to see Robbie Williams do something a little bit different. Yeah. You can be underwhelmed like Aaron's wife. <laughs> um, that's all we've got time for today. Check the episode notes or agonyartpodcast.com to find links to all the media we've mentioned today. If you have a problem you'd like us to attempt to solve, you can reach us on our group Instagram and Twitter accounts at Agony Art Podcast or on the submission page of our website. I'd like to thank our resident Agony Arts for their contributions. Thanks, Liam. Thanks, Aaron. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week to muddle through more problems and with more entertainment, I promise, for you to check out. <laughs> See I don't you think on. you can make that promise. Promise. I promise next week will be entertaining. I promise. <laughs> mm, yeah. See you then. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd suggest keep it light, cause their advice can be shite, and they won't be held liable. Oh no, not at all. Not here. But agony are. Agony are.